Welcome to the Football Walking Tour podcast. My name's Aon. I am Gary. And we are here, Gary, today to talk about splits and divisions. Yes, I know. More, more splits than the bananas. Uh, Ireland wouldn't be complete without uh, bands and splits. No, it's the first thing on the agenda in any major political <laughs> meeting is the split. Um, <laughs> so over the course of our tour, actually, one of the most fascinating bits is as to how we have managed on the small little island to produce not one, but two international sides. Not one, but two soccer associations. So uh, there's been, in that period between 1920 and 1950, there was about 30 internationals who played for both sides. But how do we get to the, p- the position of having a split and how do we get to a position where one of the only sporting organisations on the island actually has uh, two, or actually had a split, uh, is, is the soccer people. Yes, uh, the soccer people, uh, apparently the athletics people do as well. Mm. Uh, I only know that because somebody told me. But then, how else would I know it? Uh, yes, there is a split uh, in the uh, within the ranks of soccer, uh, and to discuss that now uh, and to go into it in very forensic detail, uh, we are delighted to welcome our guest, Cormac Moore. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Well, one of the mo- most fascinating things we discuss uh, on our tour is about the great split. Now, we discuss about how soccer came to Ireland basically via Belfast and the IFA was founded in the late 1880s, uh, or sorry, in, in, in 1880. But the administration of soccer from, from that period until the 20s, there was a sense that uh, a lot of the administration was unionist orientated, Belfast orientated, and the growth of the game was very much in the north of the country. Um, but to discuss... I suppose um, that period and, and the soccer split. We have Cormac Moore, historian and uh, an author of uh, the soccer split, uh, which goes into that whole area in in great depth. And Cormac, you're, you're very welcome to our, our our podcast. Welcome, yes. Thank you, Leon. Thank you, Gary. So, take us back maybe to the uh, that 1880 period, the IFA, its foundation, and the sense that maybe in the early years that the football or soccer in Ireland was was pretty much a northern uh, game or administered administered if you like uh, from Belfast and how the f- tensions probably rose fairly early on that southern players certainly didn't get the sense that they were getting international honours and that maybe clubs in the rest of the country didn't get a fair crack at the whip yeah well, well the as, as you mentioned on the, um, the, the foundation stones for football in Ireland were in Belfast uh, John McAleary who founded Cliftonville he became the first secretary of the IFA in 1880 and he was the powerhouse originally um, um, of, of, of the IFA. The first, very first meeting of the IFA on the 1st of November 1880 in Belfast um, was eight clubs were at it, seven from around Belfast, one from Derry. So there was no look-in at all for, for teams from the south. Now, the, the, another reason for that was that there wasn't actually many teams outside of Belfast or, or its hinterlands. Um, football really only started around 1883, 1884 in Dublin. You know, you had a, a team in Trinity, then you had the Dublin Association Football Club. Um, so you know, it, it took a lot longer for football really to uh, generate interest, to generate teams further away from Belfast you got. So it was understandable that would, um, you know, it, it would have a lot of power in Belfast and a lot of control in Belfast. And, and that's what happened. But it, but it continued on for decades. And by 1900, um, you had teams like Bohemians and Shelburne actually doing quite well. You know, they started to get to the IFA Cup Finals. 
um, they became more competitive, but their their power within the IFA was not commensurate with their actual their uh, success on the field. And they did um, um, start to get a bit, a bit annoyed with this, and that's when the split really started to emerge from around 1900, when Leinster became almost as as uh, strong as as Belfast when it comes to a footballing terms. They weren't getting picked for the international teams. There was only six out of about 50 internationals, home internationals, played in Dublin compared to Belfast. They weren't getting positions on the IFA committee or its subcommittees. And this was, so this started to develop into significant rows and uh, schisms from around 1900 until 1921. And, and what was international football like in those days, Cormac? Was it, you know, a, a, just a number of internationals a year based around Ireland, England, Scotland, Wales? Was, was that the extent of it? Yeah. Yeah, um, the first ever international championship was the British Home Championship, as it was called in, and that was inaugurated in 1884. And so every year, um, England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales played each other. Um, that continued up until 1984. Actually, Northern Ireland were the last winners of, of the competition. Um, um, but that, that was it. Like they, they were the only really established uh, countries. Um, the IFA is the fourth oldest uh, football association in the world. Um, even when, when FIFA was founded in, in 1907, there was that, so 1904, there was actually very few um, 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 federations outside of uh, the British home championships. And they needed, they needed the British ones to get into the FIFA for it to, it to be successful. Um, so so that, that's, you know, football really started from a qualification point of view from, from, uh, from England and uh, then the other home nations. And uh, can I ask, uh, Cormac, what kind of people played football certainly in dublin i mean presumably it was a it was a garrison game uh, amongst other things and it must have been played considerably by people in the military yeah that that to me is an, an exaggeration um it's oh, really? overemphasized in some towns like athlone you know and, and and other places around ireland yes the the, the main kind of uh, founders of the game in those areas would have been soldiers or, or people involved in the military um, but in Dublin, it often actually was education institutions um, um, who actually um, fostered game in Ireland. As I said, Trinity College was one of the first football clubs in the city. Um, Bohemians was was uh, associated with Castlenock um, um, College. Even Clongo's Wood now, which would would not be associated as a soccer school. <laughs> no, none of the name. places you've mentioned, Cormac, would trip off the tongue as being soccer strongholds. Yeah, well, Clongos actually was a football um, um, a school originally, and then it actually, by 1900, it had, didn't want the band to do with football because it became more associated being a working-class sport. Um, but the education institutions, particularly in the South, had a big say. A lot of people, um, even that went over to public schools in England, came back and, and introduced soccer to Ireland. So, so yeah, the military definitely um, played a role, um, but there, there was a lot of other factors as well, like, it, it, like a lot of working-class areas played it, a lot of educational institutions uh, spawned in, in the south. So that, so that, in Belfast that, was quite different because yeah. you'd still my Scottish immigrants working in Belfast in the shipyards and other industries. So it was it was a very it was a very different kind of a feel to the game in Belfast, and it was, it was a lot more working class based than it was in Dublin. In so, so so that Garrison game accusation is possibly more of a of a kind of a nationalist politically charged accusation rather than something that was hugely evident. Yeah, look, they, they definitely had a role and, mm. and they definitely um, fostered the game. But yeah, it definitely became an insult and uh, um, it became known as the garrison game by, by nationalists who wanted nothing to do with Shawneen Sports, basically. And, uh, and it was used as a... Shawneen Sports? It's one of the greatest <laughs> words, Shawneen. 
uh, heard sports. Before. Brilliant. It sounds like an actual uh, 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 bunch of sports shops. Shawnee Sports. Yeah, Shawnee Sports. Derby O'Gale's football yeah. team. But uh, but uh, and, and in terms of international honours, because like one of the players who came from around the Crow Park area, and we talk about him a lot, is Patrick O'Connell. He was the he was the captain of the Irish side that wins the home championship, right? Nineteen nineteen fourteen. He he was one of the only Southern players, though. So even though he was captain, the majority of that side would have been from the north. And is there a sense that Southern players are getting a bit frustrated at the lack of international honours, which would have been a good payday in those days? Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, no, there was, of course. Um, no, they, 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 they get representative of honours. Like, Patrick O'Connell was by no means the only person from the South or uh, um, in any way at all that, that played for the IFA team. But the, the um, Ulster-based players tended to get favours over the Southern-based players. Um, th- that team was very interesting, the 1914 one, um, in that it actually had a very geographic spread across Ireland, which was maybe why it won championship because uh, you had players from Galway, you had players from my, my own home county of Leash on the team, you had players from Wexford, you had players from Donegal, you had quite a few from Dublin, quite a few from Belfast. Now a lot of them were applying their trades overseas at that stage. The IFA um, didn't allow players to um, um, play for overseas teams until the very late um, 1800s, around 1898 or so. Um, so most of the team came from Ulster-based teams. But once they introduced that, you know, that allowed players from England and Scottish teams you know, they started to get better. Started to improve, improve better, better results. Um, Ulster team, Ulster also um, introduced that uh, professionalism before Leinster did as well. So that was another factor in more Ulster players being chosen. Um, but yeah, there, there was there was this bias. There was no question about it. Um, the international selection committee. It wasn't it wasn't like today where a manager selects the team. It was an international selection committee of five people. Leinster always only had one representative on that. The majority came from Belfast or you know Mid Ulster or um, elsewhere near Belfast anyway, and so they, they didn't have much of a chance of getting a look in. Blazers, Gary. So, so Blazers. That, that was and that was a big issue when the split happened. One of the big issues for people from what what became the FAI um, was the selection of the international team, and that, that was really was a huge issue causing the split. So, so when the split came. Is it a coincidence that it's at the heart of the, at the height of the War of Independence and the Government of Ireland Act, which which, which you know effectively establishes the Northern State, um, that it happened at the same time, or uh, was a soccer split inevitable because of those tensions between between the two parts of the island? And, and I know it centres around uh, Shelburne and a and a game that they had against Glenavon, an Irish Cup semi final that was due to be played in Belfast, uh, and the replay of a draw of the drawn game was decided because of the trouble in in in, uh, in dublin at the height of the war of independence was the refit pay was was fixed for belfast and that led to a lot of upset with shelburne talk us about that and 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 maybe explain to us you know was the split the partition in the country going to be inevitably a, a soccer partition as well yeah um but look, my thesis is based on the soccer split my phd thesis and my main argument is it was an internal um, 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 power struggle as opposed to um, look, the, the, certainly the partition of Ireland and the, the revolutionary years definitely had an impact, um, but it did not cause the split. Um, to me, it was, it was mainly to do with internal power reasons. Most other sports, um, even sports who had uh, political cleavage issues, 
um, like uh, horse racing, uh, like, like golf, um, boxing, for example, has a lot of uh, similar kind of profiles to soccer. They never even came close to splitting. Um, it was primarily from an administrative point of view that the um, the, the soccer bodies in Ireland and split. Um, now, there wasn't actually a split in, before the 21. It was actually an artificial split with the First World War um, because um, it was frowned upon. It, a lot of, uh, in, particularly in England, they were seen as uh, rugby as being these kind of heroes who went off fighting to the war and stopped all their games. Um, and the soccer authorities came in for huge abuse, including in House of Commons and, and elsewhere, for not stopping their games. Um, so they, they were kind of forced to... to, to um, localize and, and even stop most competitions by 1915, and the IFA followed suit by actually localizing the leagues, having a, the Leinster Football League and having a Belfast and District League, and that actually gave um, Leinster authorities a lot of control, a lot of power they never had before, and they didn't want to relinquish much of that either. You know, they knew they could go it alone. They knew they had kind of the personnel and the, the experience by that stage to go it alone, um, so they weren't going to take second fiddle anymore. So this is all happening um, by 1921. Yes, there are a lot of tensions to do with the troubles. Um, um, you know, there are a lot of violent clashes, but they're often more to do with the clubs in Belfast, like with Belfast Celtic, when they play uh, clubs like Linfield and Glentoran. Um, there's, there's a hugely uh, uh, um, and, and, uh, you know disruptive match in 1920, another Irish Cup semi-final between Glentoran and, and Belfast Celtic. It's called off. There's a, a gun is shot. Um, Belfast Celtic are, are thrown out of the competition. They don't bother playing football for four years in Belfast. There's a lot of sectarian tensions happening in Belfast, but the, the, the specific reasons for the split are not related to partition. You know, my last book, The Birth of the Border, on the partition of Ireland, uh, tries to explain what was going on in people's heads at the time of partition. How did they react to it? And when the Government of Ireland's Act was passed, most people didn't recognise it. You know, they didn't uh, feel it was legitimate because they never had a say in it. You know, there was no vote for the Government of Ireland Act. Um, we, most of us know that you know the vast, vast majority of people in the country did not agree with the Government of Ireland Act. Um, so, so the, the FBI certainly were not thinking, oh, the Government of Ireland Act has passed, we're going to uh, split because of that. That, that never even came into uh, our discussion. O the only time nationalists of, of any hue started to feel there was some kind of partition, it was legitimate, was around the time of the signing of the treaty. Uh, of course, by that stage, um, the split had happened, you know, this previous summer in soccer, and that was for internal political reasons rather than the, what was happening in, uh, around the country. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times? Visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook. Okay, Gary, as you know, if people want to get in touch with us for the football walking tour, we've been doing this since August 2020, and there's a north side one, there's a south side one. We haven't gone west side yet. Uh, we're hoping to do an east side tour. We haven't gone outside uh, the pale. Dublin Bay. Mm. Actually, yeah. So it's walking tour at gmail.com. Uh, there's a Twitter handle of at football tour dub, and littlemuseum.ie, which is the little museum on Stephen's Green, and they also run our football tour. So littlemuseum.ie forward slash football tour. Yes, uh, forward slash. That sounds so Y2K. Kind of 1994. <laughs> Granddad, this is your email address. No, I think you're actually going back too far. I don't think it was in 1994. Forward slash. It didn't become a thing. Forward right. slash didn't become a forward slash thing until the late 90s. That's a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> uh, what do you think? It's not, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a good slash. <laughs> it's a great slash. It's a great forward slash. Uh, okay, uh, moving swiftly on in this podcast. Uh, 
Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Visit doro.ie. Make friends with innovation. Was there, can I just ask you to clarify, in my head anyway, was there any sectarian base to it? Was there a sense in which uh, there was a, a stronger unionist kind of uh, uh, centre in, in Belfast than there was uh, outside of it. W- w- was that part of it? Yeah, no, it was a part, and, and there's no question about that, but it wasn't the decisive part. Okay. Like, for example, one one incident that really uh, riled a lot of nationalists was was in February 1921, um, there was an amateur international in Paris, between France and Ireland, and uh, a few Sinn Féin supporters who happened to be um, African students in the Royal College of Surgeons, they were waving the tricolour in Paris. And and Wilton, James Wilton, the, who was the president of the IFA at the time, he insisted that they removed the tricolour and had the, the fan, those fans removed from the ground. And this caused a bit of a stink in, in Dublin and in Dublin, the Dublin press. Um, also, the, the yeah, look, a lot of the... the um, I will say one thing with the IFA, they were never overtly unionists in their decisions. You know, they, were, they, they certainly were not overtly sectarian and they tried to steer clear from politics okay. and they genuinely did not want to split but their leanings were towards unionism like for example our, our protestantism if, if, if for want of a better term for example they were totally opposed to sunday football which within catholicism is never a problem you know um, but whereas within uh, the protestant and, and religions it was an issue and the ifa were insisting that there would never be sunday football um, so, so that was one example where, where they were quite different like the minute the fbi was formed they started playing football on sundays um, that was one where reason where it wasn't overt, but it was there in the background mm. of uh, a certain amount of uh, you know, um, 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 you know unionist hegemony that was happening within the sport. But it wasn't overt. And Wilton, in fairness to him, tried his best to heal the divisions. Um, but they had this kind of superior viewpoint as well, though, that they founded football. They were way better at football than anywhere else. They weren't going to uh, ever be equal to Dublin. Um, whereas Dublin wanted total equality. And I don't think the IFA grasped how much the, that it rankles people south of Belfast, how they felt this was a supremacist, you know, unionist, very British, it was a very British course as well, organisation, it it, it, it's a loyalty to the Crown would have been important for a lot of the people that ran the IFA. And this was seen by the South. So, yeah, it was a factor, but it was not a decisive factor. And the, hit, the, the split could have been healed if Dublin was treated equally. So t- tell us anyway why this is all Shelburne's fault. Yeah, um, but Shelburne were often a, a bit of a, a problem club anyway. Like, and, and even when they they were obviously the catalyst that uh, um, caused the split, um, they were uh, they had won the the previous uh, um, um, IFA Cup final the year before without actually kicking the ball because that, uh, as I mentioned, the Belfast Celtic Glentoran game was a uh, was cancelled, and uh, both teams were actually kicked out of the competition. So Shelburne Shelburne won by default. Then they were defending their title. The IFA ruled that only uh, games could only be played in Belfast because of the troubles in Dublin, even though there was way more uh, civilian and sectarian troubles happening in Belfast at the time, where a lot more civilians were killed. So the IFA seemed to have forgotten about this. They even had a curfew, and even one of their committee members got shot. And they, 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 they for some reason, thought it was worse in Dublin than it was in Belfast. But um, their decision was that uh, games could only be played in Belfast. Um, Shelburne went up to the to Belfast, drew with Glen Avon, assumed the replay would be held in Dublin. When they were told it wasn't going to be, they they withdrew from the competition. They were supported by the Leinster FA. The Leinster FA then canvassed um, the clubs um, quite quite you know in a very egalitarian way as well. They really wanted to get good input from the clubs. They they, they showed you know, they demonstrated to to members the pros and cons of leaving the IFA. 
and uh, and by you know June they decided to, to go to Lund. Um, so so it was that the Shelburne was the catalyst. Um, it was unsure whether Shelburne would actually go on the FAI. It was unsure whether Bohemians would go on the FAI, but they decided in the summer of uh, twenty one they would. And uh, and uh, yeah, now we have got uh, two football associations. And the rest has been champagne, really, since uh, <laughs> since nineteen twenty one. But they met was it in in, in the, the meeting place of the first meeting of the of the FAI was at Molesworth Hall and Molesworth well, Street. Yeah, Molesworth Hall, wasn't it? Yeah, which is yeah, now the now the Ivy, I think it is. The, I think it's the Ivy building now, or so I've been told. But anyway, it's Molesworth Street anyway. But there's a restaurant. It's right, yeah, and presumably loads of champagne. Well, it's absolutely perfect. It's been, it's be it's been a century of champagne. <laughs> but they, and thirty years after that, anyway, Cormac, it's just because we were talking about other a lot of players who've around the, the area, Crow Park, who played for both Ireland's. Paddy Moore is one, and Tom Farkson is another, and yeah, and called Paddy Moore. He's a, First man scored four goals in a World Cup qualifier. Yes, he was. Yes. Probably the first, uh, not the last. Uh, what <laughs> didn't Don Given score four goals in one match? No, I think probably three, three in the in the European qualifier. Anyway, um, well, we we will we will research Wikipedia and 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 find out. But certainly he was he was a World he Cup. He got a hat trick against Russia seventy four. Yes, I did. thought yeah. there was a. I thought I thought he might have got four. Anyway, well, anyway, well, that is to be determined. But yeah, but so he played for both Ireland. So, but there's about thirty players who played for both Ireland. Both. FAI and IFA Ireland's until the late 40s. How did that resolve itself? Well, not not through the efforts of the IFA, that's for sure. Um, the IFA always felt, and, and uh, even retained the name Ireland up until the 70s and 80s. If you see some match programs of British World Championships, it says, it says Ireland versus England, Scotland or Wales. Um, but, so the, the IFA uh, believed it was the only fo- the legitimate football association on the island. Um, the FAI was... You know, fought a battle um, for a number of years looking for international recognition. It, it, it was allowed into the FIFA fold in 23, provisionally, made permanent in 24. Um, but it had a lot more difficulty with the the English FA, Scottish FA, the FA of Wales, um, because they were very close with the IFA. You know, they knew each other for years. They were all part of the International Football Association board. They were, you know, they were quite friendly with each other. And the IFA wanted no legitimacy or recognition, recognition for the FAI. Um, but uh, it was agreed in October 23 that yeah, I, or the FAI would be recognised, but as a Dominion association. So the IFA took this as a great picture for them. They could still uh, select whoever they wanted on the island, and they continued to do that until 1950. Um, and yeah, the FAI started second players as well, but not as, as frequently as the IFA. Um, you know, the Marquis clashes still were, you know, the England, England, England in particular, in Scotland, Wales. Um, so the IFA would always attract the you know, the best players. Um, they continued with this for, for years. And, and at this time as well, there were attempts to heal the split. There were loads of conferences. We came very close in 24 and 32 for um, um, uh, both sides to agree to reach an agreement and for football to be healed, but it never happened. Um, so this kind of uh, war continued up until the late 40s. Then Stanley Roos uh, brings basically the English FA into FIFA um, after the war. They realise they're not as powerful as they used to be. And the empire is, is uh, breaking up. They're no longer as brilliant a football na- nation as they used to be, and they're, they've been isolated for decades. And, and they want um, Rue, Sandy Roos wants to get involved in FIFA, and uh, and FIFA insists. Look, it, there's no way you can have uh, um, two Ireland teams, you know, actually trying to qualify for the World Cup and both s- selecting the same players. So if you want to, if you want to get them involved in the World Cup, first World Cup in the 1950 World Cup. You can only select players from you, where you're born, basically the jurisdiction you're born. So that's that's where the, the, the selection of players stops. Um, even though the IFA are 
you know, disgusted with the decision and, and they're not happy with it at all. They have to go by it because the English FA put a lot of pressure on them to go by it. And, um, and, uh, that, and that's where uh, they stop. But the partition of soccer is one of the only sports where where there is two international sides on the island. And the term Republic of Ireland is actually a soccer term more than a diplomatic yeah. term. Yeah, the, the, uh, the, if you look at the Constitution, uh, Ireland is not called a Republic of Ireland. It's called Ireland or Era in Irish. You know, so it's a um, it is pretty much only term. You know, legitimate use of the word Republic of Ireland is probably with, with, when it comes to football game. Um, but it, I'm, I'm currently editing the Athens of Irish Sport. It's the um, follow-up to the Athens of Irish Revolution. We hope to have it out next year. And I, I do look at all all the sports that are 32 county based and those that aren't. And the, the trend, and this wasn't just for sport, but generally um, organisations, whether it's sporting, religious, trade unions, if you were if you were an All-Ireland body before partition, even if you have a strong unionist membership, you were likely to retain that 32 county presence after partition which is quite unique to the Irish partition story. Most bodies that were 32 county bodies have remained so since. Um, it's the only sports that literally were founded after partition that are 32 county uh, and won generally. And obviously so- soccer is a, is, a, is a big example of an anomaly basically, where an organized sport that was around before partition that is split now. Um, yes, yeah, so, so most are obviously 32 county. Yes, uh, that that is a slightly different um, uh, sort of uh, information, slightly different story than I thought that it, mm. it actually was. Mm. Uh, but uh, soccer, nonetheless, obviously, then has has become whatever its reasons for its split. And you're saying they're more administrative than uh, than they were political. Uh, nonetheless, the partitionist nature of 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 soccer certainly gave it a certain uh, uh, place in this country, didn't it? I mean, it, it reinforced the idea of a divided nation. Yeah, a lot of people say sport heals and sport is a united force. Um, it can be the very opposite as well and actually can uh, rise tensions and actually highlight tensions. And, and certainly that has been the case with football. Um, when, when I wrote the Irish soccer split, I decided to have my introduction as that night in November '93, mm. I think we were in the same year in college, Aon. So I think that we were both studying for Leaving Cert that year. You know, yes, was, uh, yes, we were indeed. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I remember that night, that night in November qualifying, and it was I was watching at home on TV. I think I think no one, no one was allowed from the south to go to that match, um, but I think about two thousand went there anyway. And um, um, but the tension was horrendous; like it was just awful. That night. I, I, I still remember that night vividly. So I decided to kind of. Uh, you know, just ha- have start off my book on basically that, that night. Well, show how divided uh, the island is, and how football became kind of a, a yeah. focal point for that division through that. But it, uh, it, it was funny. It was it was actually at the at the time of great hope for a peace process. Mm. But it was it was yeah. probably the most poisonous atmosphere of any game that's ever been played. Uh, because in the football sense, it was hugely tense for anybody who doesn't remember it. It was um, Ireland needed, as it turns out, at least a draw, if not more, yeah. the Republic of Ireland to qualify for the World Cup. Billy Bingham was the, it was his last game as Northern Ireland manager. He'd been very successful. It was at the height of a lot of sectarian killings around that time. But there was talk of change and, and a peace process and Peace 93 and, and all of that. There had been a particularly sectarian attack in around Halloween time, and the um, the perpetrators of that had rep- had reportedly shouted "trick or treat" uh, as they uh, 
uh, as they uh, entered the premises and that chant went around Windsor Park that mm-hmm. night I understand so there, w- there was a lot of poison uh, now Quinn talks about it we may talk about that evening again but up until that though I mean just to finish off the, the conversation Cormac like the IFA still had a reputation of being unfair if you like to players of a nationalist background and certainly clubs of a nationalist background so you mentioned mentioned Belfast Celtic they went into demise in the late 40s because of an incident in the game against an infield Derry City could suggest that they were unfairly treated there's question marks over Derek Dugan and his role in trying to get an All-Ireland team to play under the banner of Shamrock Rovers and then he never plays in Northern Ireland again Felix Healy has spoken about blessing himself before an international and then never getting a, a, a cap again where these things are all coincidence and rumor and speculation or actually embedded in a, in, in a very um you know rigid unionist viewpoint of the ifa they did have that sense about them yeah i, I think uh where, where the ifa back in 1921 genuinely wanted uh, an all-ireland uh, um, team and the ifa in later decades definitely seemed to be veering more towards uh unionism and not not reaching out to uh um to nationalist community and a perfect example is like they, they retained god save the queen as their national anthem um which was never going to in, entice uh nationalists um to join the fold um, but if you look at the 70s though you know and, and the early 80s you had a lot of very successful Catholics that played for the team like mm-hmm. martin o'neill and, mm-hmm. and jerry armstrong um you know um pat jennings you know so you know you actually had quite quite a, a few the communities actually uh what what gone on okay with each other for a period in the early eighties, but it seemed to get a lot worse in the in the mid eighties. Um, that that's now. true. I remember the nineteen eighty two World Cup and uh, that Northern Ireland team who famously beat Spain uh, in it and had a great run. I remember. I could be wrong about this. It was only 17 and not very politically aware. But my memory of it was, was, was that a lot of people were up for Northern Ireland. A lot of people down here I were very even sympathetic to the Northern Irish team. There was even an article in Unfoblocked, the Republican newspaper, which, which suggested that it was okay to support the Northern Irish team mm. in, yeah, uh, yeah. in whatever World Cup it was. It was eighty two, yeah, yeah. Quite quite a number of quite a number of, of uh, people from West Belfast, Jerry Armstrong would be one of them mm. who were playing on the international stage and therefore it got the blessing. <laughs> if yeah, like. Martin and Martin O'Neill being another Yeah, yeah with yeah. it from a GA, very GA background. Listen, yeah. fascinating stuff, Cormac. Thanks so much for, for um for uh uh, f- for shedding some light and so with less politics more blazers blazers are the problem not yeah, just Shelburne not just Shelburne trust me they were they were definitely the problem um, actually I should have said one thing when I talk about other sports athletics actually split around the same time yeah. but that was very politically uh, motivated to do with specifically the partition of Ireland where soccer even though there was some mention of it it, it was it was very very um, peripheral to the main issue of equality and internal power and so you know the, the, the main reason for the split was Blazers. Thanks so much for your time, well, Gary. Thank uh, you very much, Cormac. I really enjoyed it. No, thank you, Leon. Thank you, Gary. See you. Thanks again for listening. Football Walking Tour at gmail.com, at Football Tour Dub on Twitter, littlemuseum.ie forward slash Football Tour. Thank you.